Hi, everyone, and welcome to a, uh, another podcast episode on case interviews and consulting firms. So today we're going to do something quite exciting. We're going to talk about some of the major new changes that are coming out at McKinsey or have already come out at McKinsey and the firm is pursuing. Now, I'm not going to do a Rachel Maddow and tease this out with a suboptimal or anticlimactic end. The bottom line is that I want to talk you through what McKinsey is doing and how to interpret it. And I want you to understand that while the changes may look big, they are not necessarily as big as they are made out to be. And I want you to distinguish between what firm does and what is actually happening. So basically, how do we judge what a firm is doing, right? So we look at what they say in the press and interviews they publish. We look at articles they publish. Like For example, McKinsey is publishing a lot of stuff. Bain publishes a lot of stuff. BCG publishes a lot of stuff. And we then look at the work they do for clients where we do know where the work is taking place because in most cases we never know McKinsey or BCG is working for the client, right? And then finally we look at the website. So four sources, one is what they say, two what they publish, three is the work they do, and four is the website. Now, what you are going to find very quickly is that largely we judge a firm's priorities based on what it says and publishes and the website. That's the reality. And you could even say what the firm publishes is part of the website because you know, McKinsey Insights and McKinsey Quarterly and McKinsey Global Institute publications all go through the website, right? But what I'm going to show you now is that most, many of you may not realize this. It may surprise you, but McKinsey does not have a strategy because that is by choice. The firm believes that if you bring in highly talented people with the right set of values and the right set of principles and you let them loose, they will do the right things. You shouldn't control the firm from the top down because there's no top. There's no set of superior partners that control things. All partners are equal and you just let them run loose. And it's very important you understand this. So when you see a firm saying they're doing something, it's important to think of it as a general theme as opposed to some well-thought-out strategy that has pages and pages of execution steps that they're pushing through. These are themes and areas of interest that they hope the firm will coalesce around, right? So, we're going to look at McKinsey's website to show you some of the big changes coming, and then we're going to talk you through what those changes mean, right? Now, let's go to business functions, because this is where sort of the meat of the episode is going to be based. McKinsey lists three, four, 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 twelve priorities here, right? Now, you wouldn't have to be a rocket scientist to see that one, analytics, design, digital McKinsey, implementation, learning programs for clients, and recovery and transformation services are things that are basically new over the last, say, six to eight years. Of, of those six, Recovery and transformation services and implementation have been around for quite a few years. Digital McKinsey, learning programs for clients, design and analytics are new. So you can see that roughly half of the things McKinsey is saying they are prioritizing and is a major part of the firm are things that didn't exist eight, nine years ago. And even if they existed, they were never such a deep priority, right? 
So we know that uh, recovery and transformation services, implementation, and digital are major priorities, but there's three new elements here as well. Now, people looking at this website are going to say, wow, these are the priorities of McKinsey. McKinsey is so organized around this. If the firm put it on the website, it must be true. So let me give you a bit of a reality check here. Let me explain to you how a website is updated so you know how much stock and, I would say, how much to use what's on the website as a guide for your career and as a way to assess what McKinsey is doing. When I was way back in my career and I was a senior partner, I was given the task of looking after what you would call in most firms a marketing function for a region. Right, So I was leading our, we had a different name for it, but let's say marketing efforts. And I was working with web designers and so on. And you know the, the writers, the editors to control how the firm positions itself in that part of the world. So I sit down with the, let's just call them the marketing team, the web design team. And we have a lot of meetings and I tell them what we're looking for. And they say they redesign the website and they say, Michael, can you get your team and so on to write up what your priorities are, how you're going to structure things, where the firm is going. So I'm quite excited, right? Who wouldn't be? The firm is making a big change. They're redesigning their website. And I'm thinking, okay, let's do this, right? So I get my top guys and girls together. We say, okay, the firm's going through a big change. What are our deepest priorities in the region? Okay, one big priority in the region is infrastructure. Another big one is digital. Another big one is risk. I mean, I list all of them, right? And we prepare all the content, we write it up, they ask us to work with clients to put together client stories, what other firms would call case studies that they want to publish and so on. It's a, it's a big effort, right? So there's a back and forth between the marketing teams, the website design team, the then the early app development team and so on, and we bring all this stuff together. So great discussions. These guys are very easy to work with. I mean, marketing people are easy to work with. They say yes to everything and they ignore you later. So you never know you're going to get screwed, right? So anyway, great discussions, talking to them and so on. And we send them all our content. And they say, everything looks great. We're going to work with this. So I think, okay, wonderful. Six months later, the new website, the new apps go live. And I can tell you right now, that nothing we gave them is what came out on the website. They, and this is not, a, this is not an issue of, of misleading and incompetency. I'm not saying the web teams and the marketing teams are incompetent. They mislead and so on. What I am saying is that they have other stakeholders. They, not just other stakeholders as in other regions, and they have to deal with other more powerful partners, less powerful partners. They also have issues with regards to can they take the two pages of text Michael and his team wrote up and fit it into an app, right? Technical boundaries. You just can't do it, right? Second, maybe the design that they chose is not conducive for the amount of content we provided and the type of content we provided. Maybe all of the regions gave them 18 priorities, but their navigation tab can only fit 12 priorities. So the point I'm trying to make is that when a lot of us look at what a firm is saying, we look at what the firm says, what the firm publishes, the work it does on the website, but by and large, we look at publications 
and website because work is usually private and what the firm says is not widely distributed as much as you would think. It's just interviews and newspapers and so on. Publications, website. But the point I'm trying to make is that the website is usually not a full representation of the firm because of the issues I've already mentioned. The difficulties of taking the priorities of the firm and perfectly representing it in the website. So when you are looking at how McKinsey is promoting itself online and on the website, keep that in mind. There is a very big disconnect. And you can't just say, well, McKinsey put digital, McKinsey put design, it's second on the navigation button. It must be important. Well, firstly, this is in alphabetical order. That's why it's second. And two, you don't know the behind-the-scenes priorities and jockeying that took place, right? There's a whole lot of things that happen here. I mean, I can just, for example, pull out and say long-term capitalism. That's a theme that Dominic Barton made famous when he published a Harvard Business Review article with the head of some, I think, pension fund or some financial services institution in Canada, and the firm coalesced around this. Now, I don't know if it is the most important theme McKinsey should be pushing. But I can imagine, as the web design team, thinking, you know what? If we put this out, we got to make sure we please Dominic Barton. So let's make sure that long-term capitalism is one of the timely topics and major themes we are pushing. Again, I'm not saying it's unimportant. But when you've got a couple of thousand partners who are very smart, you can be pretty sure there's more than one or two, or in this case, seven themes. And the question is, how do you prioritize it to reflect it on a website, right? Big issue. Now, a couple of other things to notice here. Even if all these themes are not a correct reflection of what McKinsey is pursuing, even if they're not being done all to the same degree of rigor, for example, implementation, I think, is going pretty well at McKinsey. I'm going to put it out there and upset a lot of firms and say McKinsey is probably doing implementation better than any other firm I've seen, right? Despite all of the uncertainty and difficulties of knowing exactly what's happening, we can say the following things. McKinsey is doing a lot of things. Uh, you know, Many years ago, we published an article which says that uh, Dominic Barton is building the Deloitte of 20x, right? We stand by that. That's not an insult. McKinsey is bringing in other capabilities that they've never had before, and they're bolstering it to their existing capabilities. You know, Deloitte has something called the MDP model, the multidisciplinary practice model. What that means is they've got different capabilities like audit, tax, and corporate finance, and legal, and actuaries, and so on, all sitting together. And their thinking is that clients need this multidisciplinary perspective so they can deploy that, right? Kinsey is essentially doing the same thing. You can argue whether they're doing it worse or better, but I think it's too early to say whether they're doing it worse or better, right? You've seen that they've acquired design firms. Now, design is the new in thing. It's the new cool thing to talk about. It's the new fad, right? In five, ten years, people are not going to talk about design. They're going to talk about something else. They've acquired a design firm. Good or bad? Too early to say. I think that we should give Dominic Barton the benefit of the doubt on this one. Let's see what he can do with it, right? They've acquired other consultancies in other countries, which is very rare and very unusual. The question becomes, why would you do this? Would you do this because maybe 
Well, before you know, I continue further, the reasons are not always bad. It could very well be that in Saudi Arabia, the local government said, you know what, if you want to work for us, you need to have at least 30% of your engagement teams to be local Saudis. I've seen that in many countries. So what McKinsey does, and most firms do this, is they will partner with a preferred local consulting firm so that McKinsey does an engagement. It co-starts that local firm. But if you're doing so many projects with that local firm, why don't you just acquire them? So that could have happened here. It could be a completely benign reason whereby McKinsey was already working with them. They were not just buying the firm to get access to a client, but they were trying to solidify and formalize and make permanent an existing structure that they've used for many engagements. On the other hand, it could just be evil as well that McKinsey is buying a local company to access clients. Now, when I say evil, I don't mean like, you know, Darth Vader kind of evil. What I mean is that it goes against the core of McKinsey, whereby if you want senior people at the firm, they should be steeped and trained in the firm's values. So I think that those who want to see this as being bad for McKinsey will see it as being bad for the McKinsey. Those who want to see it as being good for McKinsey will see it as being good for McKinsey. But my point is you should see both sides and ask yourself, you know, why, why are they doing this, right? Now let's come back to the big changes because that's what this topic is about, right? Six new topics. Let's talk about them. Analytics, right? I'm guessing analytics is using big data, machine learning to make designs and so on, right? And to make decisions. And yeah, we, you kind of see that. McKinsey Analytics, big data, age of analytics, wonderful stuff. It's what I would expect. And McKinsey is investing substantially behind analytic skills. So, you know, the firm in some ways is kind of separated, right? They have their typical generalists, but working with the generalists are a lot of specialists, experts, um, thousands of them. So when you're joining McKinsey Analytics, one of the questions I always tell clients is, are you joining the generalist side? Are you joining the specialist side who never becomes a partner yet? Maybe when McKinsey figures out how to work with them, they'll put these guys in a part to partnership. But right now, it's not that case, right? Then we have McKinsey Design. Now, design is an important topic today. Is it the most? Should it be one of the 12 topics McKinsey is pursuing? I don't know. But here's the thing. Nobody knows. Some of you listening to this will say, well, McKinsey should do analysis and figure this out before they make it a priority. If you do that, you don't understand strategy. Very rarely do you do an analysis that gives you a definitive answer. A credit to the firm is that they are trying this. Maybe it'll fail. Maybe it'll give them a marginal edge. Maybe they'll become faddish like other firms like Capgemini and Mitchell Madison and this thing hurts them. But you've got to try. You've got to take risks, right? So a credit to Dominic Barton here. Digital McKinsey. Now, Digital McKinsey is a bit of an interesting one because what they've done is they've taken the old BTO and they've merged it with new skills, helping clients change business models and so on. So Digital McKinsey is basically the new version of BTO with a lot of other skills. Now, the one big difference between McKinsey Analytics, McKinsey Digital, and McKinsey, uh, a Digital McKinsey Design and McKinsey Analytics is that 10, 15 years ago, when McKinsey launched a practice, it would be a bunch of generalists leading the practice. And they'd just be generalist consultants you hired from Harvard, INSEAD, Ivy in Canada, 
HEC and Patterson and so on. Now when they're launching these practices, they are hybrid leadership. So you've got senior partners from the genderless groups, but these practices are heavily staffed with experts who are not genderless and are never going to be genderless and are never going to be partners. How McKinsey merges them onto teams to deliver value to clients is something that's a work in progress. They haven't figured it out, and that's not a negative comment on them. I think it'll take time for them to figure this out. McKinsey implementation is an interesting one. And this one took me a long time because if you read the page on McKinsey implementation, there's nothing about implementation on it. In fact, the bottom of this page says connect with McKinsey Analytics. So the McKinsey Analytics page at the bottom says connect with McKinsey Analytics, as we'd expect. The bottom of the McKinsey Design page says connect with McKinsey Design. The bottom of the Digital McKinsey page says connect with Digital McKinsey. But the bottom, well, the entire McKinsey implementation page is nothing about implementation. So I think if you want to be a little bit cruel, you can say McKinsey is great about talking about implementation, but when it comes to implementing a website about implementation, they are not so good at it, right? And some of you want to be a little bit cruel, will smirk and say, well, look at McKinsey, multi-billion dollar firm, can't even get their website, right? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say that maybe they're so busy doing great work and implementing at clients that they never got around to fixing their website. So let's leave it at that. Because it's not a reflection of the partners and the case teams, it's the website management team. You know, I find it a little bit odd that no consultant, no client, nobody visiting the website, considering this is one of the 12 priority areas, has clicked on this and told the website team that they have the wrong page up. But I'm pretty sure, given the amount of McKinsey people that watch this video, they will send the website team a notice. Now, learning programs for clients is basically putting out training programs to help clients understand how to do these things for themselves, which is a bit of a... Now, McKinsey will never say this, but they can't excel at this. They can't excel at this because if they excel at this and... Well, let's think what the definition of training is, right? And learning. Learning programs for clients means that if the program is amazing and excellent, the client should be able to do things without McKinsey. But if the client's able to do things without McKinsey, then what business does McKinsey have? So by default, McKinsey cannot be that good at this because if they are really good at this, the rest of their business suffers and they go out of business. And you could, it's easy to argue this, but they're probably not good at this because teaching is a very different skill from actually doing the work. You think it's the same, but it's not the same. So this is new for them. It's pretty basic at this point. Hopefully it grows. Now, let's look at the final one. Recovery and transformation services, big issue for McKinsey. They've invested a lot of money. They've been sued for the way they've built this practice. Again, who knows if they did anything wrong or not. I'm going to say that probably not. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt here, right? So coming back to this, right, you've got... 12 business functions of which analytics, design, digital McKinsey implementation, learning programs of clients, and recovery and transformation services are the new focus areas. All of these are relying on bringing in talent from outside of McKinsey. It's importing skills they don't have to build out a capability they don't have. 
So McKinsey is bringing new talent, and the argument they're making is that if we bring in this new talent, we can put our values and processes on this new talent, so the quality that they produce is to our standards, and they'll pick up our DNA in like rapid amount of time and there'll be no problem. I don't know if that's true. I think that we've seen that with many firms that when you make a lot of acquisitions and basically every time you hire someone from outside the firm who has a completely different background, it's a kind of a minor acquisition. So the growth of these six areas are minor acquisitions. How the firm integrates them is a question mark, right? For those of you who are looking to apply to analytics, design, digital implementation, learning programs for clients, recovery and transformation services, I want you to remember the following things. Just because it's on the website does not mean it is a massive priority. Remember, there's a disconnect between what the website team puts up and what is a true priority at the firm. Second, a lot of the skills to build up these areas are coming from non-generalists and non-consultants to start off with. So that's the one thing. If you join these practices, you're going to be working with people who have different skills from a generalist McKinsey problem solver. The, the generalist McKinsey problem solvers are the ones we, we know about, the ones who go on to become CEOs and so on. So if you work there, are you comfortable working with those people too? A lot of these people are not on a partner track. So if you want to work at these practices, I think you have to check. What will I be doing? Am I going to be doing the technical expert work? I'm going to be learning the general problem-solving skills. Two, is this a part to partnership? Three, is it a part to partnership in the generalist practice? Because what McKinsey has done is for some of these, they've separated them as separate companies within McKinsey, and you can become a partner within that company, but you're not a partner within the general McKinsey worldwide practice, right? The fourth thing you have to ask yourself is that, even if, even if I'm working with specialists, I'm working with people that are not on the generalist career track for partner, what is it going to look like in 10 years? Because this is the way BTO started many years ago. People don't remember this. When you, BTO was a bunch of eclectic people. They were not on the part to partnership. Eventually, the firm figured out how to make it work. And now you join BTO, you become a partner. The sub-question there is that, are you going to be at the firm long enough for that to happen to you? Because it's not going to happen in the next two years for some of these practices, right? It may take 10 years. So if you are working in, in, in learning programs for clients, for example, maybe you can't become a partner there. In 10 years, that may change. Are you going to be there 10 years? But finally, remember the market is not that efficient in terms of deducing the differences. If you tell people you worked in McKinsey Design and it's a specialist or expert path, no path to partnership, and you didn't learn the general skills, does the market know that? Probably not, right? So the big changes are driving these six practices. But here's the thing. These six practices have other differences. Let me explain what they are. Learning programs, so let's, let's just go through this, right? You've got recovery and transformation services, risk, strategy, and corporate finance, sustainability, marketing, and sales operations, and organization. Those seven directly serve clients. They directly serve clients. You can send an organization engagement team to a client and they work with a client. 
Some of these don't serve clients directly and they do serve clients directly. The design team and the analytic team, they serve clients directly in some cases. In other cases, they serve the generalist engagement team that is serving a client. So you're almost a consultant to the consultants within McKinsey. Now, people who join get very excited when they say, I'm joining design, I'm joining analytics. But one of the things you've got to be careful of is if you work in the part of McKinsey that is staffed by the generalists, you learn all the wonderful things that McKinsey is famous for. If you work in a part of the organization that is staffed by outside people not steeped in McKinsey's values, the organization is completely different. It looks different. It sounds different. The metrics are different. The culture is different. You learn nothing about McKinsey. So you have to be clear about what it is you are joining and don't just get excited by the offer, right? Salaries are different as well. You'll quickly see that, right? The way they interview, what they look for, and so on is different. Now, I thought maybe we should just look at BCG very quickly and Bain to get some perspective of how the differences exist between the firms, right? So let's look at the capabilities of BCG. Obviously, BCG does not believe in the one-click or two-click model to get to capabilities. Whoa, right? So they have a lot of capabilities. Now, this is not a bad thing. People say, oh, you've got to prioritize. You can only prioritize when you know exactly what's going to work with absolute certainty, and no one knows that. Now, someone will say, well, there's too many priorities. Well, maybe, but given the world is in so much flux, that's not a bad thing, right? In smart simplicity, I don't even know what that is. It's obviously not a website design, clearly. So BCG pursuing other priorities, similar priorities, they've broken it down further. That's not a bad thing. It could be a good thing for them, right? Bain, consulting services, okay. They've got um, advanced analytics, which I suppose is distinguished from the normal analytics that other firms are doing. They've got information technology and digital. I remember McKinsey published a paper called the two-speed IT department, I suppose. These guys work on the slower part, and these part guys work on the faster part. For those of you who are not paying attention, I'm being a slightly sarcastic. So Bain has fewer capability areas. Again, they're different, but that's not bad, right? People are going to say this and say, well, Bain is doing less. Well, no. Maybe they just grouped it into smaller groups, right? Performance improvement, someone will say, well, it's an overlap with results delivery, it's not MISI. Nothing in life is MISI. I'm going to give Bain the benefit of the doubt and say they know what they're doing. It works for them, and that's good. But you can see the differences in the firms, right? Again, important insight, it's not the differences in the firms. It's the differences in the way the web design team has decided to translate what they've heard and the differences in the firms. A website is not the firm. It's a small team's representation of what is the firm. So, some parting comments. Six new priority areas, we think. McKinsey is doing a lot here. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But important advice for you, if you're joining these teams, make sure that you know whether you're joining the generalist or the non-generalist side. If it's a non-generalist side, be clear you are comfortable with the career track, the salary, the culture, the work you'll do, and so on. Because it is very hard, if not impossible, to transfer from the expert side to the generalist side. It doesn't happen. 
be aware of that. I mean, people get excited with all the offers McKinsey is putting out as they grow up the expert side, but it's a different side of the business, right? As always, if you enjoyed this um, episode, post comments, please place a review for us on the uh, app on iTunes or Android. We would appreciate it. And of course, that is if you found the episode interesting. Otherwise, I look forward to seeing you soon for the next episode.